0: How'd I do? Did I nail it? <laughs> uh, you know, you know, Scott. I, I'm usually pretty honest, and at the same time, you know, I, I like to be helpful. I think you could do. I think you could do better there. Um, maybe, get up maybe,
1: maybe. the excitement.
2: thank you for joining the IPG Media Lab from each of our respective homes. I am your host, Scott Elcherson, and this episode was recorded on Wednesday, April 8th, 2020. Uh, My co-host Adam is back this week. Adam, how have you been? Say hello.
3: Doing great. Got a standing desk, really adapting to working from home. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I I can tell through our our Skype that you are definitely standing uh, during this conversation. So uh, I am excited for you uh, as that desk looks great. And Additionally, this week, we are joined by uh, Elizabeth Burth, the SVP and business partner at UM. So, Elizabeth, welcome to Floor 9. Hello.
1: Excited to join the bad boys of the podcast world right now, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: thank you for that compliment. I think that's the <laughs> nicest thing anybody has ever said to us. <laughs> this week, uh, I'm super excited to be talking to both of you, really just about, again, changing consumer behavior. To kind of frame our conversation, I wanted to start off with A recent quote from Tim Armstrong, who is currently the CEO of AOL. And recently, what he just said was, for the first time in history, we'll have the highest point of media usage in the history of the United States and the lowest point of advertising. What are your thoughts on that? Because I think that really describes the current time that we are in, just given how much attention has been shifted to mobile devices and the the many different digital ecosystems that are out there. But, Adam, what are your thoughts on that? What are you pulling away from uh, that quote?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think we all kind of inherently know that that's true in the US right now. I think that it is. Understandable that we're seeing uh, some brands pull back from media uh, because the, the the ecosystem is changing so rapidly. The just environment that they're they're walking into is changing. But on the other hand, uh, I think it's a little unfortunate because there is so much attention on media right now um, that uh, the brands who can figure out the right messaging and the right uh, the right channels to be using and can adapt quickly to the the changes that we're seeing are going to be the ones that are going to come out of this thriving. I think.
2: Elizabeth, how about yourself? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I agree with Adam. I think right now marketers are proceeding with an abundance of caution. Um, I think that we've gone through um, you know financial crises, economic downturns in the past, um, and I think that marketers have um, feel pretty safe with some of those models um, and understand how to market. Um, themselves and their brands during kind of an economic downturn Um, and right now we're really truly living in unprecedented times and with that I think a lot of marketers are concerned and very cautious about making sure that they're showing up um, in the right ways um, and being empathetic uh, for the world of which we're all living in right now and I think where you're seeing some advertisers or marketers pull back, um, obviously in some cases for business reasons um, and, and others are also concerned about just making sure that they're coming off in, in the right way. And I think in a lot of cases, they may not have the appropriate communications out in the marketplace right now um, to make sure that they're showing up um, in that, in that uh, effective and also kind of empathetic way.
2: Right. Absolutely. Cause it- it does take a a creative refresh. Like, I don't think, you know, most brands just don't have those assets laying around that they can just kind of plop into their standard media rotation currently. I think the only thing I might add to that is, would you agree that it's the greatest consumption of digital media that we're starting to see? I feel like that's really where we're seeing like the most of that attention shift to is like digital media versus any other media that's out there.
1: Yeah, we've seen a few different, I mean, a few different stats on that uh, in general. I think streaming, um, especially in OTT devices, Um, these numbers, you know, the amount of spike that we've seen um, since the, you know, in the last month has been almost astounding um, of the amount of kind of viewership. We haven't seen just as much spike when it comes to actually digital audio, which is actually very interesting because I think people are um, consistent with their audio viewing habits or audio listening habits when it comes to music. But, But overall, I mean, I think just in terms of the, you know, digital traffic, you know, social is up in terms of newsfeed consumption in a, in a big way. So it's really kind of across the board and those marketers that I think have the right content, um, at this time and also are finding ways to provide value, um, are those that are going to be most successful, I think during this
3: uh, particular period as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Adam, how, how about yourself? Any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I mean, we we definitely I think are seeing the biggest gains in digital media, but uh, all media has been has been up for the most part. We did also see increases in linear television mm-hmm. as well. Um, it's it's up about ten to fifteen percent, whereas uh, O T T is up about a hundred percent. So there's a little bit of a difference there. But you know, I think it's it's all media consumption is up, and it's not just up; it's also spread out throughout the day, right? Mm-hmm. Like. More consumers are watching video or listening to audio at times of the day that they normally wouldn't, which is sort of removing this idea of of day parts um and I think you know this is something that's uh, there had been a lot of interest in sort of moving beyond the day part thinking for a long time. And now we, it has really come to, uh, to this moment where day parts are basically out the window because, uh, people might be watching prime times, you know, premium television at, uh, eight in the morning, uh, or, uh, or, definitely, or three in the afternoon. Um, it's, it's all over the place.
2: Yeah. Or like, if you're like me, you're cooking breakfast at 11 o'clock at night and you're like, I thought it was this morning. Like, you know, it's like it's, <laughs> my days are just one big blob <laughs> now. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Cause it's all the yeah. same place, you know, I'm, I'm lost in my apartment.
3: One weird, uh, fact that I learned uh, earlier today is that searches for podcasts are spiking in the middle of the night between three and 5 AM, presumably because people <laughs> are awake for no reason and looking for some audio to listen to <laughs> while they're awake in the middle of the night.
2: That's something that we actually want to kind of explore deeper, uh, with you, Elizabeth. It's just, how are you thinking about planning around that? Like, what are, what are the tactics or strategies that like, that you're currently, um, using to kind of like help your clients through this new media consumption? consumption cycle that's out there?
1: Yeah, I, I think in a couple of ways, a lot of times, I think, from a planning perspective, we talk a lot about consumer journeys. Um, and we spend a lot of time looking at it from the lens of the consumer to say, you know, what happens when they wake up? You know, what are those the habits? What's the on, on the way to work behaviors? How does that change? What happens during the day and afterwards? So It's almost kind of you're on this very kind of linear journey um, of how a consumer engages with media over the course of a single day, for example. Um, when it comes to starting to think about the changing dynamics of day parts um, and how do those actually, those you know traditional silos of day parts um, start to ultimately, ultimately kind of uh, start to kind of shift into very different ways of thinking. And I think from a planner's And I, you know, I will say on behalf of UM and um, that, you know, we do very well is that we have really started to work with our clients of how do we start to shift from kind of a brand first perspective to a true audience first perspective and what we're doing. And I think if you think about this in a few kind of big buckets or territories, one is, you know, what does that must-watch content look like? And so where is where can you capture the greatest amount of ten of attention? And I think in the current world that we're living in, you know, it's harder to find those linear TV moments when you have, you know, no you don't have live sports as you as or or necessarily maybe big. Um, you know, big entertainment events as we would, but we're working with partners to actually create these types of moments, both in streaming and and in the linear space as well.
2: To your point, thinking about who your audience is and being on the platforms where they might be at any point in the day um, is a good strategy to be kind of thinking about.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that, especially in terms of how are we thinking about finding new ways around that must watch content. In addition, I think the other piece that, in terms of a territory that's really important, is really as you think about the lens of audience first, is how are you aligning um, very much to those passions? And I think the TikTok craze, um, and I, you know, that will only probably continue to grow um, as we're spending more and more time at home, um, you know, in smaller uh, in smaller groups. But I think as we think about how we continue to add value as marketers, I think that's so critical at this time. So how are we providing, you know, a, a break and a bit of humor in somebody's day? How are we creating co-viewing experiences um, and shared experiences for one another? How are we also finding ways to potentially even create value by removing simple things like paywalls. So if it's as simple as more and more people are striving to find as much content and as much information during this time, how are we thinking about that across news and entertainment? So that way we're providing value to our consumers but doing so in a way that maybe doesn't have to have a necessarily a very heavy lift in massive change in messaging or or very complex kind of creative, um, you know, swap or or re-communication. So that's the other thing too, is just like, are there simple ways that brands can truly provide um, uh, simple value for consumers just in this particular time? And I think, I I know that um, you had, um, Scott, we had talked a little bit about earlier, just about Marriott providing just different backgrounds for Zoom. (laughs) I mean, it's just so, it's very simple. um, But again, it's just one way to provide value as people are finding very different ways to communicate.
2: And to that point, like what what media channels and you know different platforms are are starting to stand out with our consumers that are at home?
3: I think definitely over the top streaming is has seen the biggest rise. Um, also, gaming uh, and esports have, have been blowing up, uh, and social. Uh, I think an interesting thing that came out of all of this is. Uh, that some of the, the tech clash has died down a little bit and people are more willing to go back uh, on Facebook uh, after they had sort of plateaued for a while because people were a little uh, wary of some of their their privacy scandals. I think at this point, everybody is uh, moving past that. And uh, I think it actually will return Facebook to a, a period of growth going forward.
2: Absolutely. And then during this time, and we are spending so much time in the home, Like, are you seeing any Types of solutions that are that are currently missing, but this could kind of be a trend accelerator to make that come to market faster. <laughs> yes,
3: uh, so something that I have uh, been long interested in, uh, but that I think is really needed right now, is the idea of remote co-viewing of uh, of video content. So this is the idea that you are syncing up your stream with somebody else who's watching in another location, and uh, that you're able to presumably chat or socialize or something on top of that uh, while you're while you're watching TV together. Um, This is something that I think everybody would like right now um people are (laughs) as we get more in you know ingrained in our uh social distancing people are looking for more things to do together remotely uh so you know I think the first week or two everybody was just excited to jump on video chat platforms and and see their friends and their family um but now it's like we don't there's not that much to talk about other than the pandemic and people don't want to talk about that all the time so they're looking for things like uh let's watch a movie together or let's play a game together and you know, gaming is, is has been doing pretty well with with obviously remote multiplayer gaming for a while, uh, but I think it's time for Hollywood to catch up and to start building that capability directly into some of these platforms.
2: So, Adam, can you kind of give us some more like background on? what we're categorizing as digital third places and kind of what all that means.
3: Yeah. So third places traditionally are, uh, is a strategy that I think Starbucks really popularized in like the nineties, which is the idea that there is a place that is not home and not work. So it's a a third place that you can go and you can hang out in maybe Mm -hmm. those in between times. Like you're waiting for a restaurant reservation or, uh, you know, you're, you're waiting before you go to the airport, things like that. Um, Sounds like Quibi s- strategy. <laughs> it's a perfect place <laughs> for a Quibi. Uh, would be a digital third place. <laughs> uh, Quibi, though, is not a, is not a digital third place because they have no social features, at least right now. Um, I think we're mm. seeing because we're spending all of our, our lives online right now, because we're all uh, at home isolating, you know, you work in Zoom and you have your, you know, offline life with your your family or your roommates. Um, and people are looking for other tools and other ways to connect with their, their friends and socialize. Um, and you know, we have this theory that they are looking for these digital third places for something that is not your, you know the your life in your apartment or your home and it's not your your work life in in zoom or Microsoft teams um, and I think the the evidence we have for this one 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 uh, data point that we have is that uh, the the first week to two weeks of the pandemic the number one downloaded app by everybody was zoom that is kind of obvious I think everybody knows that at this point uh, but the second starting towards the end of the second week into the third week the number one app downloaded was actually house party um, which is uh, another video chat Chat app uh, but one that is much more geared towards socializing and sort of casual hanging out it's kind of designed for you to leave it on all the time and just like turn your video on and off as you you see your friends pop online um, it actually also has uh, a few casual games baked into it including um, mm. uh, trivia and uh, and Pictionary. so um, it's House Party saw a huge surge uh, in interest, and I think that, that to me that says that people are looking to, uh, as silly as it, as it seems, to draw a distinction between their work life in one app and their their sort of online socializing life in another app. And it's not just House Party. There's there's we also see people using things like Fortnite uh, and Minecraft and Roblox uh, for these things as well. We we normally talk about these as sort of virtual world building apps because people can be mm-hmm. creative in them and in 3d space, but they're also using them to hang out. Um, and I think that that is a, an interesting point of connection for people right now. And I think it's something that is going to stick around, uh, after we come out of lockdown, because once you have those behaviors and you understand that you can use those, those tools for socializing, I think a lot of people will return to them even once we're out and about more
2: it'll it'll be part of the new normal where in a sense it'll be kind of be destigmatized cuz i i feel like that's like the one thing that has always sat around uh those types of platforms and conversations as like there was like a stigma around it but uh now that we're literally everybody is doing it i think you know this will be the push to your point uh to make it stick around and be destigmatized
3: yeah, I think it, it, people used just to think that it was just for kids and teenagers. That is a very common behavior among that, uh, those age groups. Uh, but I think now we're seeing a lot more adults uh, and older people I- experiment with them. And I think that'll convert a lot of new, new users to those platforms.
2: So with that, um, I, I do want to wrap up our, our conversation here. Um, so, Firth, we will, we will start with you on this question. How are you thinking and how are you starting to build towards the recovery and what comes after?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing that in terms of the conversations that we've had with clients across UM is really about there's going to be short-term actions that you're going to have to take um, and and hard decisions that you may have to make as a brand. But ultimately, we have to also think about the long-term as well, um, because there is going to be a recovery phase. And we know, you know, based on, you know, some of the information that we have looking at places like China and SARS, you know, a few years ago, we do know that there is this kind of explosion that tends to happen as um, life picks back up and gets back to normal after these types of pandemics. And granted it's a microcosm and obviously a single country and and this is a very different scenario than we've seen ever. Um, But it's a, you know, it's really about thinking what are the short term actions that we need to take and then what is the long term? Um, and I think that we're trying to make sure that um, we're connecting with our clients to really think about that long-term. Um, some of the work I know that um, our teams are doing that we're really excited about um, to help provide value to our clients is are things like um, a demand recovery forecaster. So how are we thinking about utilizing um, the great team and brains that we have here to actually build a proprietary model to actually help us understand, you know, what, um, what is actually how we can kind of quantify the impact of COVID um, on consumer demand just in the short term, but also in that recovery period. Um, and that's been really interesting. So it allows us to actually have, I think, more strategic conversations with clients across the board to understand real hard questions that we're trying to answer, not just from a marketing, but also from the business overall. So that could include, you know, when should I start spending again? Um, You know, geographically, are there different dynamics at play um, that we should be cognizant of when we kind of go back in a market? Should I pace my spending differently? Um, are the audiences that you know used to be a priority for me before this or during this pandemic are they still going to be applicable for me moving forward? Do I have to think about messaging differently? Um, and what is the ultimately the business impact that I can I expect? And so these are the questions that I think that um, and the challenges that we are looking, you know and continue to partner with our clients on because that's ultimately, I think the most important thing um, that we can do is, is ultimately start to really truly be that, you know, that business partner and that partner with them um, as they're going through, um, you know, this, this tougher time. they are either really focused on trying to make some really tough decisions about their businesses
2: absolutely uh you, you you had me hooked at demand forecaster i, I was know like, let's Drew let's get
3: in,
2: yeah let's get into the nitty-gritty of of <laughs> of all these planning details and so thank you for kind of breaking all those out because um, i i think that is good good thought and conversation and you know it can help spark ideas you know for for all of our listeners so so thank you for that um adam uh you know what are you thinking about how are you planning for all that
3: Yeah. I mean, we at the lab obviously are always focused on the future and, and looking at where audience attention is going and, um, you know, what is happening next in the the media and tech ecosystem. And for us, you know, I I think I said this last week, we're really thinking about this pandemic as a trend accelerator. There are trends that we knew were already starting to happen in market, but that we thought were going to take another five or 10 years to go mainstream, things like online grocery shopping, that now, you know, there's about half the country is shopping for groceries online right now. So uh, that's just one example. I think, you know, what we're seeing in OTT and OTT consumption is, uh, is is the same. Uh, I think, and again, these things like these digital third places, which we knew younger generations were embracing, but now we're starting to spread into mainstream culture in a matter of weeks in what we had assumed was going to take years to become more mainstream. So we're, we are are just going industry by industry and looking at uh, the things that are obviously changed in the immediate term, but then also which ones we think are going to stick around or expand uh, once we do come out the other side of this pandemic. And um, we, are, we are here to help.
2: Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us uh, this week on floor nine and providing your insights into how you are working with clients and teams and marketers to really navigate uh, these, these challenging times and coming up next, we know sports is on everybody's minds. So we have a great conversation hosted by John Stimmel with the NHL and NBC sports. So John, take it away.
0: Um, So thank you, Scott and Adam uh, for the intro. We are very glad to be here and we are joined this time with Dan Lovinger, who is our EVP Ad Sales and Partnerships for the NBC Sports Group, and Keith Wachtel, who is EVP Chief Business Officer at the NHL. We hope to have a really fun discussion about what is happening with sports in general, because that obviously has been a lot of the conversations that have been happening to date since the the scheduling of all the other sports that had happened since uh, the, the pandemic has really hit us within the U.S. And basically plans moving forward so that we can talk to our marketers as well as agency partners about how we want to address the landscape. And uh, knowing that there's been a lot of things shifting and canceling, it is a critical component to how we figure planning for the future when relief and recovery will be front and center as part of our overall plans. So welcome to Floor 9, guys. We're so glad you can join us.
4: Great to be here. Happy to be here, John.
0: Can you share with us like, how your organizations have responded to the recent pandemic? I know we read a lot about players and, and celebrities doing things on their own. But how have you guys, from your respective companies, gotten involved in a local and national level in terms of relief and recovery and support?
5: So NBCU, and we're owned by Comcast, it really starts at the top. And if you look at some of the things that Brian Roberts himself has done, he and his wife making personal donations of $5 million for students to enable them to get the laptops they need to do remote learning to some of the things he's done through the corporation, providing hundreds of millions of dollars of relief opportunities and money for people to take care of their normal day-to-day needs. Um, Comcast has really stood behind their employees and stood behind their partners in a way that I think is unparalleled in the industry. So at the NHL,
4: we, we've always taken corporate social responsibility very seriously and also feel that it's important part of the process for corporations like Comcast, NBC, the NHL and all sports properties to help get communities and uh, the country back. So whether it's our owners and our teams from the commissioner to the league office, um, we're doing a lot of different initiatives at all different levels from a league standpoint. We're supporting the CDC's initiative on raising awareness and funds through um, crowdsourcing um, to generate revenue for um, COVID-19. Most of our clubs are getting involved with local businesses. Obviously they're the touch point to the local market, uh, especially as it relates to the healthcare um, industry where you're seeing a lot of work our clubs doing with uh, their partners in that area to make sure that they have meals and all the, the things that, you know, we take for granted that our healthcare workers are working around the clock to make sure that um, they are doing everything they can uh, to help uh, society and our players, right? I mean, I think our players um, are the best as it relates to um, being relatable to many of our fans. Um, they're spending lots of time on social media, creating videos and other things to get the word out. Uh, to make sure especially in the time of of social distancing and um, the need to make sure that everyone's being responsible I think those messages go a long way and and everybody uh, within the hockey community has been great about making sure that they do their part to hopefully uh, get this done with and over as quickly as possible.
0: It's amazing and uh, it's been actually inspiring to see all the corporate attention to this and, and uh, working with the Ed Council, the ANA and the 4 a's, and then the UM has done uh, work with them as well. But to see everybody kind of mass their time and energy, as well as funds to, to the greater good, has been quite inspirational. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. You um, know what
5: else, John, I think is pretty cool when you think about, and you mentioned some of the work the ANA is doing and a lot of the agencies. I mean, we've seen a complete pivot in creative work from our clients that are choosing to stay on the air. And some of the messaging has been really, really inspiring um, across the board. And remarkable how creative and how quick that people can be with their changes.
0: Absolutely. All right. Now I'm going to ask you to break out the Magic 8-Balls. You got your Magic 8-Balls? Because I'm going to ask you the question that everybody wants to know. When Mm. is sports coming back?
5: So I can can start and... Keith can maybe be a league authority on on at least one league. Sports sports has already announced in some places that it is coming back. We heard from uh, the governing bodies of golf just this week that the majors, um, with the exception of the Open Championship, are coming back and in large part being rescheduled. Uh, We heard yesterday from the PGA Tour that there'll be some regular tournaments played um, just prior to the FedEx Cup. So I can tell you that there's plans to play golf in June, as early as June. The, um, the, the majors, most people are already aware, um, have been rescheduled. So the U.S. Open has moved to September 14th, the week of September 14th. So Sunday the 20th would be the final round. We've seen the Masters move to mid-November. The PGA Championship has moved to August 3rd. Um, So there's a lot to be thankful for. Golf is coming back, and I'll defer to Keith on some of the the four major stick and ball and and puck leagues.
4: What what I think is amazing is just the unprecedented nature nature of not knowing right now what, where, when, how, why. Because at least for the month of April, everyone is still going to be quarantined for the most part. The CDC has said that we need a, a good another you know three to four weeks before they reevaluate. So while we're all planning for various contingencies, it's that unknown right now that really makes it difficult. So I think we'll know a lot more in early May as to what the timelines could be, because a lot will change. Uh, I will say that it is every intention of our commissioner to award the Stanley Cup this year. We have uh, the ability to play through through the summer. Interestingly enough, as our, our broadcast partner, NBC, When they had the Olympics, we were going to have to be off the air by July 23rd because of the three-week window of the Olympics. Now, with the Olympics postponed, it now opens up that window for us to play, quite frankly, through the summer, which is interesting. Unfortunately, the the loss of the Olympics might actually help our ability to award that Stanley Cup. Uh, If, unfortunately, we can't finish out this season, we need to make sure that we keep the integrity of a full season next year. And look, sports will be back, right, for everyone. It's just a matter of when. Um, and everyone has their own little uh, intricacies that they have to deal with. Um, but I do expect that we will be playing uh, and it will be sometime uh, over the summer and it'll look very different and uh, will be very exciting when it does come back. It's uh, great. And then do you tend to speak
0: to other leagues as well in terms of their discussions? Because I know you share similar timing and probably objectives with like the NBA is that something you do in terms of through the arenas? You talk directly. Is there anything yeah. there you can share?
4: Sure. So, you know, I'll talk to my counterparts of the other leagues just to talk about best practices. How how are you handling partners? What are you hearing? Because a lot of us share the same partners, and, and certainly we're all very competitive in some degree, but uh, these are, again, unprecedented times. Um, our scheduling folks work directly with the NBA and the venues on a regular basis, because as you did say... Uh, we share numerous buildings um, and we do play at the same time. So we're going to have to make sure that normally there would be availability if, you know, the Knicks and the Rangers were in the playoffs. Um, I know, you know, who knows? Stranger things can happen now. Right. But if they were in the playoffs, we'd have to make sure that uh, the, the dates were reserved accordingly for, for both. So we do spend time. I mean, a lot of that is done at Gary's level. He's had several conversations um, with Adam Silver, Rob Manford, et cetera. Uh, and the broadcasting teams, the scheduling, um, and and you know it's a it's a small industry, so everyone everyone talks. And I think right now, it's one of those things we're all we're all gathering together for the greater good, uh, as opposed to looking at ourselves as competitors. Which brings me to like times like this, when you see in crisis, it bears the
0: fruit of innovation. So, have there beyond the content opportunities that are being developed by these individuals and athletes, are there things that you guys are talking about? that you're experimenting with, that you normally would not have done, that you're thinking this might be a good environment for us to try VR in a unique way or leverage a certain platform or otherwise within, you know, Dan, I'll start with you, within yeah. the work that you're doing and then Keith, will go to you in terms of the NHL.
5: As far as technology goes, you know, I mentioned that um, Morning Drive um, and, and Golf Central are being produced as half hour shows, potentially growing to an hour shortly or soon. And we're seeing it all over the place. Remote edit, editing and production is remarkable. What these folks can do um, from their own homes, from their own you know locations, and you're going to see more and more of the technology being used. I think to bring in more remote um, types of views. I think a lot of fans like what they're seeing. They're seeing they're you know they're getting into Keith Wachtel's home through video conferencing.
4: And we don't want seeing- that, Dan. We don't want that. <laughs>
5: But they're saying, you know what, those people are pretty, pretty cool. You know, we're seeing Mike Tarico's study with his, you know, little mini Syracuse helmet over his shoulder, which tells us, oh, yeah, Mike's a Syracuse guy. I think all of that is going to play out um, in um, the way we bring stories to viewers going forward.
4: Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we've seen uh, a lot of what Dan was just talking about, you know, the, the communication between the NHL clubs, teams, players is all something that um, has is very unique. And we're, we're starting to see that, you know, there are other ways to communicate and be effective. And I think we've probably been more effective, as Dan said earlier, in communicating with the organization than we ever have before. And certainly allows for fans to interact with the game and the sport in a different way through these simulation games with EA Sports and and the like that we were talking about. And so that brings me to the next question, which is you obviously
0: have a list of league partners that you've been working with for some time, maybe new or otherwise. Like, how have you been talking to them? How have you been managing them um, in a way that lets them feel like what they're doing this season Will continue to fulfill itself as well as for the future. Does that change the way that you negotiate the future?
4: Is there anything within that you can share with us? I think the most important thing during these times, and, and we've had some work stoppages in the past, so uh, this is this is pause in the season, if you will, is nothing new. Is communication over communication? Clients want to know what's going on. They want to feel like they're in the know before someone else mm-hmm. might be. So we are doing everything we can to communicate with all of our business partners in the various areas as often as possible. And obviously, it changes uh, day to day. And when you have something of importance, I think what's key is is sharing that information with them before the public knows. And and we pride ourselves on that, and making sure, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the commissioner um, allows us to have those conversations. Um, with our partners before it's going to get out into the media, whether that's you know changing dates or canceling events like the award show, uh, postponing the draft and things like that. So that that's been very important, and that happens on a regular basis. And you know, it's also communicating on a regular basis with NBC and our other broadcast partners, and also making sure that Dan and and I are aligned as it relates to the commitments that our partners have to media, uh, and making sure that we are talking from the same page. So I think communication, number one, is key. The conversation with them is, um, let us do whatever we can to help you. Um, We're here to listen. Uh, We will be uh, creative. Uh, We will be sympathetic. We understand that their businesses are struggling as well. Um, But the number one thing we want to do is get back to hockey. And if we can get back to hockey, then the season, for all intents and purposes, for our partners, um, will stay intact. How they market and things like that is, is really up to them. And I know a lot of marketers are gun-shy, but I, I will say one thing. Dan mentioned it before. The first time I really noticed it, I don't know if you saw, there's an Oreo commercial right now that's out there uh, where they are basically talking about staying safe and staying at home. And they created a commercial with TikTok videos and all these other things that our people are doing to stay home and stay safe. And it's a great example of a company that, that turned quickly and instead of going dark, which is what a lot of companies do and everyone has their own reasons, um, someone who's, who's not taking advantage of the situation, but I think helping the situation. And we're going to do whatever we can to help. I know NBC will do the same and, and all broadcasters for all their sports properties. Most important thing we do is get back on air. Um, next year, we expect everything to be the same. Now, activations might be different. Partners' timing might be different, and we'll work with them as best we can to make sure that they accomplish their objectives. Uh, but we don't believe that there will be any uh, long term effects from a partnership standpoint. And in fact, these are times where we think our, our, we could foster better relationships because we're having real conversations with partners uh, that don't involve renewals and negotiations and money. We're just doing the best that we can to help everyone uh, succeed and, and, and be prosperous in the future.
5: I would say that last point that Keith makes has been key for us as well. You know, we are, I agree with you, Keith, the the, the number one thing you can do is communicate. And, um, you know, I think there was a ton of um, anxiety prior to the IOC making their announcement that the Olympics for 2020 would be uh, postponed to the summer of 21. We had clients you know, the month leading up to that, um, every day on the phone and we're, you know, giving them the most information we can knowing, um, what we know through our conversations with the IOC, but keeping, you know, close to them. And then I think what also is key is once you have the information, being able to do the best you can to act concisely and swiftly. So in the case of the Olympics, we were able to, um, get to the marketplace with, um, our response to the postponement and giving advertisers what we thought were four well thought out options in terms of how they might want to deal with the postponement within two days of of that announcement from uh, Thomas Bach at the IOC, and then you know I think the other thing is you know as NBCU deals with so many advertisers, we're seeing um, the effects of this pandemic on every industry. Some of them. Um, actually positive, but a lot of them quite, you know, debilitating and having the ability to work with people in um, as human a way as possible, but also um, helping them understand that there are options, frankly, to going um, dark um, and giving them the information based on a lot of the research that we've seen and done. And I'm sure your agency has as well.
0: Yeah, I would would agree with that, that that first of all, the communication, not only working with folks like you as well as with our clients and being able to let them know what is happening. Um, obviously, they have concerns in their in their own right. And being able to work towards a solution that may not always be in the best interest from a business standpoint, but is in the best interest of working with that partner to come to a conclusion, we've seen will resonate in the future more than this moment in time. And I think building those relationships, the trust and the leadership that I think that you guys are talking to um, has been the thing that has been most critical, but also most inspiring. And in many cases, our companies, as well as our clients, are taking leadership positions in, with consumers um, that is above and beyond that we are seeing some certain government. So it's been an amazing thing to watch and witness, um, and I hope that continues. Um, so the one thing I want to uh, talk more about is when you talk about all the things that you guys are trying to build and think about and do and the partners that you work with
4: what role do marketers have in those well you know it's what's interesting is you know when you talk about sports everyone's passionate everyone has has uh, an opinion right so one of the things that we we encourage and it's great because it comes from leadership is the commissioner encourages our partners to reach out all the time um, sometimes he wishes that he, he didn't do that but they 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 call them on on a regular basis and even now um, so that they can feel good that they know straight from the top what's happening. What we're doing, which uh, I think is unique, is we actually send out. Uh, we'll be sending out this week a survey to our partners. Very quick, very basic, but they all seem to have a little bit of time on their hands now to think about um, questions about our partnership. Right? What would they what would they like to see different? What would they like to see? Um, that we can work on? Uh, what's working? What's not working? Um, are they pleased with our reaction to the crisis? And then some fun questions. What would you do if you were commissioner for the day? Uh, but also in, in this situation now, which I know we'll, we'll talk about, is you know, if we come back this season, what is that going to look like? Because we haven't finished the regular season. Um, what's the playoffs going to look like? Where are you going to play it? How are you going to play it? Uh, so it does provide an interesting opportunity to come up with some new and creative opportunities on what that format will look like, and we're going to allow our partners the opportunity to share what they think that could look like. And you know, maybe we'll take it, maybe we won't. We have a lot of smart partners, a lot of people that love the sport, and uh, what what that will do is make them feel again like they're part of the solution. And you never know; we might some we have some great marketers. We might get some great ideas that we haven't thought of. So I think if you bring them into the fold a little bit. Uh, I think that we're going to be able to do some really interesting things.
5: I would I would um, echo a lot of what Keith says. I would also say that, you know, what we've seen is that the messaging matters, and it's going to continue to matter. Um, I'm not Nostradamus, but I can tell you that people will have a long memory of this pandemic. And um, so I think brands that continue to think in terms of um, pro-social and human messaging while also taking care of their business needs will continue to benefit. We've seen that co-creation of content um, can be really, really um, well done and inspiring. And that, um, you know, we have that capability at NBCU to help our partners do that um, and do it quickly. Uh, We also see that, I think, in these times we've proven um, as an industry that we can be a hell of a lot quicker with our decision making and that everything isn't necessarily going to be precedent setting. I think particularly in the buying and selling world, we're also concerned with precedents and what one deal is going to mean for the future of other deals. I think we've proven that um, sometimes you can you can take that hat off and just do deals and figure things out quickly for the benefit of everyone. And the last thing I will say is that while this delay has not been anything anybody would prefer to have, um, the, the positive is it gives us a chance to do things better into the future. So when I think again about the Olympics, um, you know, we were um, pretty well ready to stage what were going to be fantastic games in Tokyo 2020. We just get another year to, you know, turn the screws a little bit tighter on perfection. Um, Somebody like Molly Solomon, who just came on a few months back as our head of um, Olympic production, gets this one-year opportunity to do things even better and different. So um, we're going to take advantage of the time we've been given.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you both for your time and your uh, insight. I think this was great, including your... uh, doggy play dates um so with that i will turn it over to uh scott and adam and thanks again
4: thank you thank you john
2: all right well adam are you ready to talk about this week's news
4: yeah let's dive in
2: uh we have a new entrant well sort of a new entrance um yeah. what what was just launched this week on monday
3: yeah, so Monday uh, was the launch day for Quibi, which is probably one of the most talked about uh, streaming services and startups in Hollywood uh, that we've seen in quite a long time. Um, Quibi is, of course, the uh, mobile-only short-form premium video service uh, from Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman, Uh, and Quibi rolled out on Monday uh, and launched to about 300,000 downloads on the first day, which is not shabby, but also maybe a little lower than a lot of us were expecting, considering that, uh, you know, Disney uh Plus's recent numbers were uh, in the tens of millions uh, for for their launch week. Um, so you know, it's Quibi is basically validating a lot of the things that we thought about it uh, before, where it the content is. Uh, pretty good in a lot of cases, but maybe not so good that it's going to attract a ton of new audience uh, members. And uh, you, the big question is really going to be how many people, even out of those 300,000, or let's give them the benefit of the doubt that they are now uh, closer to a million uh, users a few days later, how many of those users are going to stick around once the extended 90-day trial uh, is is through? Um, I think that's that's really the big question right now.
2: Yes, pretty much will their content hook enough people to keep them uh secured for enough time to make more content, better content uh, and thus starting the flywheel.
3: Um yeah. I mean, I think one of the the interesting things about Quibi that we we didn't know before, uh, but that is becoming apparent uh, in this first week, is that they've blocked some uh, interesting features that might make it more usable in our current uh, situation, such as the ability to AirPlay or uh, Google Cast to your television. They're very uh, staunchly dedicated to the mobile device. But uh, right now, there's a lot of people sitting at home who might want to watch content on their, their big TVs. And the other thing that they blocked is the ability to screenshot the content. So, you know, one of the awesome things about being watching on mobile is that you should be able to take a screenshot of it and share it to Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Um, And that is how a lot of us talk about uh, television shows uh, and and movies these days. And uh, by blocking that ability, they're basically guaranteeing that it's going to be very difficult for any individual piece of Quibi content to go viral, um, which is actually what they really need right now.
2: Next up, though, uh, a a fantastic announcement from uh Snapchat uh they have actually just announced a new AR lens uh that encourages people to uh donate uh to COVID-19 which is super exciting uh, so this new filter, uh, how it works, it, it allows you to actually scan a cash. The demo had a had a twenty dollar bill that you could scan, uh, and then from there it kind of creates an animation, uh, and then you are able to actually make a donation to the World Health Organization. Uh, so I think this is a really fun, cool product that has come out from Snapchat to really help promote some social good uh, and 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 support the current crisis and situation that is going on.
3: I mean, I think it's one of the cooler uses uh, for augmented reality that we've seen in the marketplace. It's obviously not, uh, you know. Incredibly practical, uh, but it is fun, and Snapchat is really good at creating fun experiences. So, um, definitely, you know, check it out if you're looking to donate some money right now. It's probably uh, a lot more interesting than just clicking a button on a website.
2: Gamification, uh, wherever we can get it, it's it's being integrated. Uh, so, Adam, what's what's next on our list here?
3: And so, next up is uh, Pinterest's new shop tabs, um, which. Um, can be connected to retailers' in-store inventory. They can You can connect them to style guides. Uh, they're basically deeply integrated into Pinterest ecosystem. Um, this is a really good time for this, obviously, because uh, e-commerce is on the rise, and consumers are looking not just at this point in, in this situation, not just for the necessities, but they're looking for sort of comfort, and they're looking to improve their their homes as, as places that they are now uh, living 24-7. Uh, so I think it's really good timing on Pinterest's part. Uh, we had, the interesting part is that Pinterest had always sort of talked about being much more upper funnel uh, and, and more about inspiration, uh, but this is obviously pulling them closer to the bottom of the funnel. Um, so this is something that, you know, we on the on the brand side have been looking for from them for a long time. So it's awesome that they're uh, finally bringing it to market. The other thing that I'll note is they also um, rolled out Improvements to their visual search tools. Um, So this is going to make more products on on the platform shoppable directly from pins. So that's obviously you know well timed with these shopping tabs to increase that conversion rate on on the platform.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think social commerce is something that we've been following for a while, uh, and we're starting to see more and more startups uh, build solutions for it. But now even some like like the bigger companies really take advantage of uh, their platforms and kind of bringing like that commerce solution uh, to the to the environments where we see that like the attention growing. So I just think this this is going to continue as we go throughout uh, 2020, and consumer behaviors do shift more towards uh, wanting e-commerce and shopping experiences uh, where they are spending their time naturally. So I think it's great. Uh, and last here, we have uh, a piece of news about the esports and gaming world that was hotly debated uh, by the <laughs> by the IPG Media Lab team this week. Um, a lot of great input. Facebook Gaming announced that they're going to be launching esports tournaments for amateurs esports is really becoming the new sports, uh, in, in today's world. Uh, you know, and, and Facebook is really moving fast to capitalize on the surge in attention in the gaming and esports content that uh, a lot of people are focusing on right now because we're at home. Uh, and it's very easy for somebody to either watch somebody play a video game, uh, or set up and have tournaments online over the internet. Uh, in a sense that this whole ecosystem was made for the current situation that, that we're in.
3: Yeah. Great timing on Facebook's part. Um, you know, also people have just been spending more time on Facebook in general, as the tech lash dies down a little bit, it's good for them to lean in, in these areas. Um, and you know, uh, I think my my question is, will they see a lot of conversion um, to this platform? Because one of the interesting things about esports is it's so accessible to get up and running playing a game after you're watching the the professionals play. And I think that there is a lot of uh, people in the esports audience, um, at least the the sort of old school traditional esports audience. Maybe it's a it's a broader audience now, um, but who who fancy themselves, you know, sort of laddering up to be professionals one day. And so there is something about uh, that ecosystem on Twitch that I think is really sticky for that reason Um, but at the same time you know more people are looking for remote play of games and and remote viewing of content right now Um, so maybe Facebook can capture sort of newer entrants to the market who are less uh, serious about it and maybe not not looking to go pro anytime soon
2: And uh, we do have one small bit of news left. Uh, This Friday, you can catch the IPG Media Labs Partnerships team live on Twitch uh, for office hours. We will be streaming with uh, the CEO of The Morning Brew, uh, talking about newsletters, their company, brand solutions, uh, and pretty much just how they're responding to the entire COVID-19 situation. So you can catch the live stream every Friday at 2 o'clock Eastern Time and on demand after we go live. So it will be in the archives uh, on our channel. So feel free to watch it uh, whenever you have time. If you can't make the live stream, uh, but we're excited to have you there uh, and and participate. And so please ask questions, uh, be a part of the conversation. Uh, It's a great, great time. So looking forward to uh, having everybody show up for that. Um, Well, that's that's our show this week. Uh, thank you, everybody, for for listening this week. Uh, as always, if you have questions or topics that you'd like us to address on the show uh, throughout these weeks, feel free to reach out to me directly uh, or Adam. Uh, Adam's email is adam at ipglab.com. And you can also get updates on social media by following the IPG Media Lab on our, our social accounts, Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at ipglab. And if you like, share, tell a friend. We'd always appreciate a review on iTunes. Um, so stay safe, stay healthy, and remember, to wash your hands.